This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. Stay home, right? <laughs> it's a horror movie. Yes, but it doesn't make any sense. It's not supposed to make sense. It's supposed to make you sick. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 145. Here's a Boo Crew. Fright Pack. In 1987's Creep Show 2, Nicolas Cage was originally thought of for the role of the creep. Wow, that would have been interesting. Right? That would have been yeah. a little crazy. Well, they would have done him up in yeah. makeup, or you just been a sit standing there like Nick Cage? I think they would have done him up with makeup. I wish I could do a Nick Cage impersonation. Leo, they, I know, I know you can, you can do one, right, Leo? I don't know, man. It's like, try it. <laughs> we need Alex Wolf. What is he doing right now? <laughs> yeah. let's, let's, let's wake him up. Alex Wolf does an awesome Nick Cage impersonation. Yeah, he really actually. does. Yeah. He's like, uh, you know, Trevor. Um, That's pretty good, Leo. Yeah. yeah. I, I could do the monster, <laughs> but if I do the monster, I'm doing it my way. And you're not going to like it, but fucking scary it's going to be, okay? So, you know, I'm telling you, I'm giving you gold, baby. Gold. A little sound effect for you. Wow. Are, are we morning awesome. radio now? There we go. All right. Well, welcome to Patreon member. Alex Aronson, thank you so much for joining the Creature Corps. And if that's something nice. you'd like to do, patreon.com slash the boo crew to sign up. We're actually going to be doing, Leo, we didn't even uh, tell you this. And Lauren, I didn't tell you this either. We're going to be doing God, a what? tour of the studio this coming weekend at time of release. Woo! Yeah, for Patreon members. Oh. So if you want to get in on that, sign up for Patreon. See what uh, what the inner sanctum is all about Ooh, here. I need to nice, clean nice. the inner sanctum. <laughs> I need to clean myself. It's that too. I haven't had a shower <laughs> in three weeks. No, just kidding. If you enjoy the show, please rate and write a review on Apple Podcasts, and we will read your review at the top of the show. Oh, I love this. It's like my favorite part. It is pretty incredible. And like the yeah. reviews lately... Not to say that the ones in the beginning weren't, but like people are being really creative with their reviews. Yeah, and, and the names of their reviews too are getting getting creative. I yeah, love it. Yeah, it's so fun. I know. I wonder what Apple thinks. Well, Leo, we'll start off with you. We got some, uh, what was it, Eric? I, I can't even say it. You, you do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing, man. Before, remember when Oscars used to be a thing and then the Golden Globes used to mean something? Even a Saturn Award for sci-fi and horror used to mean something? Yeah. No, it's about to change. Eric Triple Explosion <laughs> writes filmmaker goals. He writes, as an up and coming filmmaker, I no longer look forward to illustrious awards and accolades. Now the only thing I want in life is the renowned Boo Crew intro. <laughs> <laughs> rating five stars wow that's amazing that, no that is seriously touching that's Aww, incredible that's right? so nice I don't yeah, think anyone so wants cool, to hear man. another one of my long winded intros yes he does no, 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 yeah no, we no. do that's so cool well yeah. I think hopefully one day Eric will get his intro <laughs> I look forward to it Eric, yeah, you never know. Eric, we love to stay on top of your filmmaking endeavors. So definitely stay in touch with us and we will yep. definitely have you in here one day. And you will get that intro, Eric. Yep. Triple explosion. Yep. All right. And then we'll have to play this clip 
of this show. That's right. Going back yeah. and we're like, oh my gosh, can you believe it? We were talking like X amount of years ago about this. There we go. All right. I'm going to read yeah. into the next one from Stefan of Florida, who says the best horror podcast hands down. Wow, Stefan. Nice. I started listening to the Boo Crew at the beginning of the lockdown here in Florida. I was completely isolated from friends and family. I couldn't work, was going broke and had no idea what the future held for me. Stefan, we are with you more than you know. This podcast (laughs) helped me connect with reality and remind me how awesome horror is. God bless the Boo Crew. Stefan, thank you so much. Nice. I love that. And the rating, five stars. That's so great. Well, thank you for saying those nice words. And I'm so glad that we were there for you and we continue to be there for you. So stick with us and we'll get you through anything. You know, I've been kind of living life by the words of one of our past guests and good friends, Spider One. Oh, that's right. From Power Man 5000, who so eloquently said, all you can do is just take it one day at a time. Worry about what's going on that day. And that's about all anybody can do right now. So, Stefan, that's that's the best advice that I've gotten through this. And I'll pass that along to anyone else who needs to hear something like that at this time. Because I think we all do. Lauren, you got one. Yes, I do. Hair Queen 86. Love this show. My husband hates anything scary or creepy. So listening to y'all helps me fill that need. Y'all are so funny and very personable and welcoming to each of your guests. Great listen for anyone that loves the horror genre. Keep up the great work. Rating five stars. Hair Queen 86. Thank you so, so much. I get that your husband, horror's not for everybody, right? I mean, I think it should be for everybody, but... Some of your best friends who don't like horror at all actually listen to the show too, right, Lauren? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, they don't. They're scared of it. And my niece, Nicole, she doesn't like horror. Jody! Yeah. This is where we shout out Jody. Jody doesn't really like horror, right? That's right. And she's probably listening right now. That's right. Jody, thanks for listening, even though you don't like horror. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully there's something that we have uh, redeemable (laughs) (laughs) that you can latch on to a little bit, maybe. All right. On this episode, Lauren wasn't able to attend and she missed a doozy. Leo and I are joined by writer-director Dave Franco, who, Lauren, you love Dave Franco. We went and saw the Neighbors movies, right? I do love Dave Franco, and I was very sad to miss, but... Remember that time we went to IPIC and we watched Neighbors 2? Remember we did it? It was like New Year's Eve, and we watched two movies in a row. Oh, that was amazing. You go watch one movie, and then you time the other one out, so you're actually in the theater watching a movie when the clock strikes midnight, and you have no idea what's going on, and there's no hullabaloo, and no (laughs) screaming, and it's awesome. We sound so boring. (laughs) Yeah, I guess we are. But we were in the theater, front row... We had to lie down because the screen, you know, you're so close to the screen. You had to lie down. Wow, that remember, sounds really good. And I remember for that one, we had dinner at the first one. And the second one, we just had dessert. So we had dessert and a second popcorn. Dave Franco on the screen. Was I knocked up nice. then? It might have been. I think so because I remember getting like a cheese plate for dessert. I had gestational diabetes. It is not fun. Yeah. Well, Dave Dave Franco brought the fun that night. Yeah, he sure did. Anyway, himself and a tremendous actor, Sheila Van, they're here to talk to you about their new film, The Rental. It's available on VOD, digital, and select drive-in theaters. They actually just topped the weekend box office at time of release. Congratulations. Hear about their own personal horror faves, finding the perfect home rental, bloody blankets, creepy abandoned cars, and we get into a little one of Sheila's other projects, the fantastic A Girl Walks Home Alone at night. Episode 145 starts now. Hey, this is Dave Franco. And this is Sheila Van. You are checking into another terrifying episode of The Boo Crew. The Boo Crew dusts a fright flick off the shelf for ah! horror homework. We're going to go around the room and around the world wide web all the way out to Leo in beautiful downtown Eagle Ray! To each highlight a horror flick to each other and possibly even to you that we consider a must-see or perhaps worth a revisit, starting, as usual, with Leo. Alrighty, you know, uh, I had this movie on my list, and I took the recommendation of one of our faithful, loyal listeners, Skeleton Spice. She says, guys, you gotta check out the Beach House. Oh! 
We got to see movie. Oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> we are not a what, morning what, show. No, no. You got to have the sound effect. No. What the hell got yeah. into you? Come on. This is not morning radio. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry Wait, I got a new that you're toy. listening to this. I'm going to break that fucking toy. <laughs> well, this is a rare thing. Very what? rare do we ever, we, we don't talk before we record, right? right? So sometimes they pick the same movie and this is one of those yeah. situations. Random time. So that's yes. why we had to play all this annoying shit? No, it's cool. Okay. Leo, sorry. you like yeah. the, cool. you like the sound effects, right, Leo? Yeah, it's funny. It's like glitter. It's glitter. <laughs> what do you mean? It's the glitter of radio. Like the glitter, like the movie, the Mariah Carey movie? No, glitter? it's like the right. shine, the shimmer. Oh, okay. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The spice. The skeleton spice, that's if you will. Right. Yeah. This movie, um... Directorial debut for Jeffrey A. Brown, written by himself also. It's just one of those things that popped up on Shutter, I believe. They signed the exclusives to lock this film down so that they could have the exclusive rights to it after screening the film festivals, you know, last year. Quick fact about Jeff Brown. He's also a location manager for films that Lauren likes, like P.S. I Love You. He worked on that. And Spider-Man 3 and The Dead Don't Die. And in between gigs, he would write scripts, and this is one of them. I like when people do that because they're, you know, th- their day job is to be in the thick of the movies and scout locations and all that. And they have like the best ideas for a movie. And in this case, he picked the location that ended up being one of the producer's father's home, actually. The basic premise of this movie is, is it's, it's just a romantic getaway for two troubled college sweethearts that turns into a struggle for survival when unexpected guests and the surrounding environment exhibit signs of a mysterious infection. And this movie stars. Really, it has four main actors in the movie. Like it's the minimal cast: Liana Liberato as Emily, Noah Legrasse, Randall, Jake Weber as Mitch, and Marianne Nagel as Jane. Jake Weber, he was in 2004's Dawn of the Dead. I love the way it played out because I could relate so much to Liana's character because I actually worked in her exact field that she wants to get into. I actually worked in that field myself. Oh, cool! So everything that she talked about, <laughs> everything she talked about, all that character development for the first part of the movie. I'm like, wow, that's whoever wrote this, like, really did their homework because they knew exactly what they were talking about in terms of the sciences and the background and astrobiology and the formation of molecules and how life began, all that, how we're using it as a model, you know, stud to study Mars and extrasolar planetary, you know, origins of life, et cetera, et cetera. So I just was like a kid in a candy store. I was like, oh, this is fucking awesome. Somebody wrote a horror movie, you know, with all this stuff that I actually worked in, you know? Uh, so I really love that aspect of it. The character development was great. Things start to unfold the very next morning, and it's just, it gets really fucking gross really quick. <laughs> it reminded yeah. me a lot of Color Out of Space. Yes, like, it Very did. similar in tone. I love Jersey Mike's, and Jersey Mike's subs remind me of the beach. So, like, the first half, I just wanted to eat Jersey Mike's subs. <laughs> but then it I got- I don't understand the connection. Because it's like, I tried to like figure out what it was that makes it remind me of the beach. And I think it's Mike's way. I think it's like the saltiness of the vinegar. Mixed with the salt and pepper. Is that the sand? That's right. It's just, it's very fresh. And it's like, you eat sandwiches on the beach. I used to eat Subway on the beach, but now I eat Jersey Mike's on the beach. <laughs> Are we oh, sponsored by Jersey Mike's? It sounded like an ad yeah. for Jersey we, Mike's. We really should <laughs> You wish we were. I wish. Because then they would send me free sandwiches. But um, things got nasty and I didn't want my sandwich anymore. I was just grossed out. You know what I would recommend, though, to anyone to, to see this movie as well? Is it go in as dark as you can. And don't, don't watch a trailer. Don't watch anything. There's this club in Hollywood called the Magic Castle. All right. Leo, you've been there. Yeah. With you guys, yeah. Yeah, private magic club in in Hollywood. And there's this guy who did a magic show there that we watched, Andrew Goldenhurst. Remember this guy, Lauren? Yes, I do. Right, magician, did an amazing show, did some sleight of hand and illusion tricks. His last trick... Oh, that was fucking crazy. ...was he got in a straitjacket. Like, he's been on stage the whole time. He hasn't left the stage. He gets a straitjacket, oh. and he gets an audience member to wrap him up in the straitjacket, right? He hasn't left your sight the whole time. He proceeds to escape from the locked, padlocked straitjacket and pull out two live chickens. This is crazy. During, oh, during, the, during the escape. Oh, and, Jesus. And that's kind of the feeling I got while watching this movie. There's all these, oh. there's all these misdirects and you yes. don't really see what's happening. 
there's all these different storylines you could see happening as the story's unfolding. And by the time it gets to the end, it's like this, this magic trick. And the end is terrifying, especially considering what's going on in the world today. And this movie wasn't made with the pandemic in mind by any stretch of the imagination, but the parallels are insane. Yeah. And it's really like a very darker look. What I've read some people um, reviewing the film saying they didn't understand the ending. And I, I was a little bit surprised by that. They foreshadow it. And that, yep. it's brilliant what happens at the end. And it makes it yes. so much more scary. Yeah. Yep. And this movie, I got to say, I was thinking about it all day today. We saw it the other night. I was thinking about it all day today. I was thinking about Jersey Mike's all day. There you go. Well, <laughs> teach their own, right? Yep. <laughs> and Leo, what did you think? I thought the, uh, the Jake Weber and, and Marianne Nagel, who played that, the, the odd couple yeah. that they didn't think was going to be there. They do this acting style I refer to as A24. <laughs> it's not an A24 Our, film, but it's got that... House, uh, 24? You know, it's like like a uncomfortable, yes. weird... I just yeah, there's off, something weird right? about something right, off. Right. I wonder if right. they offer like an A24 class. Acting class? Yeah. That sounds like an SNL yeah. sketch. But you're right. Thought that you nailed it, though. You nailed it, because you're right. You're watching them, and you're like, why are these two kids like normal and why are these two adults off? Yeah. Like, didn't you think throughout certain times again, without giving things away, like, didn't you think you figured out what was going to happen? And it, that's yeah. not what it was going to, that's not what happened. Right. They really mess with you. I, I love the film, man. It was great. And it gets a sweet scream award. This is new. Sweet scream award. No, we'll try it again. Sweet scream award. Shit. One more time. <laughs> I broke Sweet. your fucking button. Sweet scream award. <laughs> yes. yes. For being under an hour 30. Oh my gosh. Nice. Do you like it? The sweet scream award. It gets yeah. the sweet scream award <laughs> for being under an hour 30. Is that a fucking bicycle cell? No, it's a, like a, a, a hotel. You know, you go to the hotel, there's a bell at the front desk. Yeah. Okay. Right? And then someone's dying. <laughs> the sweet scream. Sweet Scream Award. Uh, yeah. Sweet Scream Award. There you go. Oh <laughs> Leo's got God. one too. Oh Sweet God. Scream Award. <laughs> Leo, you do it. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> I'm sorry, whoever's listening to this. No, you got to understand that Boo Crew Studio 2 has everything Boo Crew Studio 1 has. <laughs> really? Does it? Including an. Yeah, including the insane motherfucker. He's here too. Well, I really hope that, you know, I'm sorry we all picked the same movie. This was not planned at all. No, but that was great. Yeah. That is so funny. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. You never know what'll happen it's, on the book. I'm looking you, for a sound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah right. You never know what'll happen on the boo crew. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so breaking. I got to say, though, that I don't know who, who scouted this movie. Maybe, maybe Jeffrey did it himself. But man, what a cool location. Like, I want to go there. Yeah, that was beautiful. Cape Cod in the off season. You know, I do want to talk about, (laughs) we did watch one episode of Unsolved Mysteries about the aliens. And that was really fucking scary. And now I really think there are aliens. Not that I ever doubted him because Trevor and I once saw UFO on Christmas Eve and we called the UFO hotline. We did. And the man thought we were crazy or... You called the UFO hotline and we got scolded. Not harassed, but just scolded. Scolded. You probably talked to uh, Seth uh, Shostak from the Mutual UFO Network. I don't know who it was, but it was late at night and I think I woke him up and he was mad. (laughs) Yeah, right, you saw a UFO. Yeah, it was very discouraging. But you should watch Unsolved Mysteries. I'm excited to watch more Unsolved Mysteries, but... I think they solved the UFO one. Guess what? UFOs are real. That's it. <laughs> Solved. <laughs> well, these people were abducted. Yeah, that was horrible. That's super Leo, scary. Leo, if you yeah. could have the choice, like, would you, if you could be abducted, would you and live with the trauma, but at least you know for sure that there are aliens and you'd, you'd get kind of a front row seat to that? He asked or would me you rather question. not have anything to do with that? I'm going to go with no. Nobody in the world is going to believe me. But will it and matter? Would it double- matter if no one believed you? If yeah, you knew yourself? Now, now yeah, because now I have double trauma. It's like you go through that traumatic experience 
and then you come back and then whatever they did to you, brainwash you or poke you, whatever, you come back and then you tell the story and people are like, I don't fucking believe you, dude. You're fucking nuts, you know? I mean, people talk about that with paranormal experiences as well, right? People right. say, you hey, would you watch some Demon people? N- I didn't say I, I would, but some people would be like, hey, they invite a paranormal experience because they want to know for themselves to be able to say, yes, it's real. Right. Okay. And I think I'm people are like that you. with aliens. Myself, I definitely do not welcome a paranormal experience <laughs> yeah. uh, because I do very much believe it's real. I don't think I need any proof. And uh, aliens, I mean, I'm pretty well convinced. I'm convinced. My mom even believed that there were UFOs or life on other planets. She said it was very naive of us to think that we would be the only ones. Leo, what do you think? Scientist? Definitely. There's, I mean, there's that famous Drake equation that was sent out. God, when was it? It was like Voyager or something like back in the seventies. And it has that Francis Drake equation, uh, you know, in some kind of a reel or disc, whatever. And has that formula that basically you can calculate, you know, the possibilities of life on other planets. Right. And I guess they revisited that that equation recently, like a couple of weeks ago, and they concluded that the, the number's not that big. Like, it might have been something like 250 or something that possibly right now, not that far away, like, could have it like. So I was like, man, that's crazy, the number, you know. And these are like Goldilocks zones, like places just like Earth, you know, perfect conditions, possible water, you know, that doesn't freeze, doesn't get too hot. So who knows, man? It's like, but I, I don't know. We're either going to find out really quick here because Tom DeLong's on top of it and all these people that are leaking stories and writing stories in the New York Times and all that. And, you know, so I think we're going to, we're going to find out something interesting very quickly. I don't want to meet an alien. I think Leo's an alien. Shut up. E.T. E.T. <laughs> You're hacking your way through another episode of The Boo Crew. Carly! Tell me that's not a camera. Get through the night. We leave first thing in the morning. What's going on? I I don't know. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio is an award-winning creator and storyteller. As an actor, in a very short time, he's been in an expansive list of some of the best-loved film and TV projects in decades. There's been Superbad, Greek, he played Cole Aronson on the Emmy-winning Golden Globe-nominated Scrubs, was in Gus Van Zandt's Milk, Fright Night, 21 Jump Street, the hilarious Neighbors films, the Now You See Me franchise. He's done voice work for the Lego movie, Tony Stark and the Marvel Avengers Academy video game, and so much more. He's also produced and written a number of amazing shorts for Funnier Die, such as the You're So Hot series, and wrote and directed one of them called Dream Girl. Also here with us is a truly compelling actor with a fascinating trajectory. She's performed on Broadway alongside the late Robin Williams, was in 2012's multiple Oscar-winning film Argo, starred in Anna Lily Amir-Pierre's blissfully original vampire stunner, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, that took eight festival wins and 23 nominations, the Sundance-winning We the Animals in 2018 and TV series 24 The Legacy, Snowpiercer, and more. The thing these two have in common seems to be... A zest for the craftwork of character, the shared thrill of nuanced narratives, and the subtle power of performance, that breathless drop in between the beat that can make us think, make us laugh, and in this case, absolutely terrify us. The new film is called The Rental. It's available in select drive-ins and on demand on July 24th. Here to talk about it is writer-director Dave Franco and one of its stars, Sheila Vand. Thank you guys so much for being here. What what an intro. That was incredible. Well, guys, the (laughs) film is absolutely incredible. It's such an achievement, you guys. It's terrifying. It's also unflinchingly cruel. It also does what the greatest horror stories of all time do, and that is reflect the real world back onto the viewer, which in this case is that blind trust we give peer-to-peer home rentals. <laughs> and you can even take it to delivery if you want to. There's, there's a whole thing in society right now where we have that innate trust that no one seems to question. Where does the story of creating this story begin for you, Dave? 
Yeah, you, you've already touched on it. It was all inspired by my own paranoia about the concept of home sharing. And just thinking about the fact that the, the country is as divided as it's ever been and no one trusts each other, yet we trust staying in the home of a stranger simply because of a few positive reviews online. And the, the truth is, you know, while we were filming the movie, there were articles coming out every week about homeowners who had hidden cameras in their places. And all, all that being said, I still use all of the home sharing apps. In fact, I was staying in an Airbnb while filming this movie. And I think I think I was just trying to explore that that disconnect where, you know, we are all aware of the risks of staying in a stranger's home, but we don't think anything will actually happen to us. Is that the one where I had heard that you woke and there was actually a blood stain on your blanket? <laughs> <laughs> no, that did not happen uh, during the filming of this movie. Oh, okay, uh, that was a prior stain. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually, I, I haven't had any uh, nightmare Airbnb stories, but yeah, that was, uh, that was my nightmare hotel room story where they had changed. Um, they changed over my room that day. I went to bed that night, woke up, and there was a splotch of dried blood next to my face. And I checked my body, and I was not bleeding. And so that was, I guess, the the new sheet that that they had put on the bed for that day. And I, I quickly moved to a new hotel. <laughs> yeah, this movie has a unique take on rentals and Airbnb and the discoveries made at such places. Uh, have either of you had experiences where odd things were discovered on such properties? I mean, not so much. I, I haven't had anything blatantly crazy. There's always like certain things. I've been in one Airbnb where the artwork was just very dark and creepy, even though I'm into dark and creepy. When I was in someone else's home, that's not what I was looking for on vacation. But it was wild right after we wrapped this movie to see all those articles come out about hidden cameras specifically mm -hmm. in Airbnbs. I've noticed that even I have had to kind of like shut that out of my mind as I continue to use home sharing sites and stuff. But I remember thinking like, oh my God, we got to get this movie out there before somebody else right. like <laughs> <laughs> it really had his finger on the pulse of something. It was like we wrapped and then, or maybe it was even before that, but that's when I started seeing this like slew of articles come out. And I just felt like, wow, he was really onto something even more than just like theoretically. Yeah, really? It's since since filming the movie, my my level of paranoia has reached its peak where now when I stay in a rental home, I, I'm not thinking, are there cameras here? I'm, I'm more thinking, I know there are cameras here. It's just it's whether or not I'm going to find them. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's another thing this movie does so great is that it's one of those those films that people will take home for them and it will become part of the discussion probably forever. I know I'm never going to be the same after watching this movie. I will. Going back to the previous question, I actually just remembered a, just a little tidbit from an Airbnb that I stayed in right after filming this movie. Um, it was also kind of in the middle of nowhere in the Pacific Northwest, and it was down this long, long driveway. And uh, there was a kind of an abandoned looking, uh, just, there was an abandoned car on the premises. There was nothing else, but there was this weird car and we were very nervous to approach it just to see what was going on. And I swear to God, finally, we just did it. And there was lube and tissues in there. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we uh, we called the homeowner to ask about whose car this might be. And they had no knowledge about anything regarding that car. <laughs> That's insane. Oh, my God. <laughs> I wanted to mention Joe Swanberg, who is an amazing yes. genre yeah. figure. Mm -hmm. uh, fans yeah. will know him from things like You're Next and he directed uh, The Sick Thing That Happened to Emily when she was younger for 2012's VHS which is incredible. What is it about Joe Swanberg's writing style that you love? I worked with Joe on his Netflix series Easy and we, we got along really well and realized that we had similar sensibilities including our love of horror films and the reason I really wanted to work with him on this one is, is because his main strengths lie in character and relationships. And so our goal from the beginning was let's let's write this, um, you know, this tense character or this tense relationship drama where the interpersonal uh, issues between these characters is hopefully just as thrilling as the fact that there's a psycho villain lurking in the shadows. And so at its core, this movie really is about the characters and their relationships and then we kind of sprinkle the the horror elements on top to accentuate the the problems that they're going through. And Sheila, how did you first come aboard this monster and what did you love about the script, the way it was written? 
I love horror movies that are more about psychological horror than necessarily like jump scares and thrills. Like I appreciate those a lot as well, but I am a pretty neurotic person in my real life. So like, I just totally relate to how much your mind can create a horror show on its own. And I love that in this movie, like small paranoias, like my character sort of not knowing if some discrimination is maybe going on. Then there's like, in between these two couples, there's some relationship issues that breed paranoia. And I loved how that paranoia was really the beginning of what gets these people into the hole they find themselves in. To me, that just feels like more scary than just a creature or some fantastical villain that, you know, you can watch a movie like that and get scared, but at the end of the day and say, well, that monster doesn't really exist. So I don't have to worry about it. Whereas with this movie, it's like, this monster does exist. This privacy concern, even like infidelity concerns, like relate, like trusting your partner, trusting your friends, all of these like elements are at play here. And, and it makes it all the more scary to me that, that it's something that could really happen. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. The Boo Crew will be right back. It is midnight on a tropical island. A beautiful young girl's long hair streams against the coral reef. Her beautiful body is caressed by the tide. Suddenly, a decayed hand rises up and blood-drenched jaws move to bite her. The living dead walk again. Zombies. They are decaying. They are missing from their graves. They live and hunger for your flesh. There is no place you can hide. Zombie, you are what they eat. No one under 17 will be admitted. Zombie. saying from the first shot in this film from go it crawls right inside your head and begins to make you question things like right from the first shot where you're like wait did you see wait i thought that no it gets into that visceral territory so well and it's one of the things that makes the rental so special and unique it's those little decisions and subtleties that we were talking about that latch onto us. For example, the things you were talking about, Sheila. Also one thing that did it for me was just the fact that Josh insisting on bringing his dog to an Airbnb that doesn't allow dog. I was so anxious about that fact that that was the horror movie for me. I was just, okay, they're going to get in trouble. They're going to get in trouble. What's going to happen when they find the dog? That's it. It starts with like this thing. It's like one little thing and then a bigger thing and then a bigger thing. Yeah. By the time you get into it, you're already like sitting on this chocolate layered cake of anxiety and then things just keep getting piled on top of it. I wanted to know, Dave, from you crafting that anxiety and those levels of anxiety in a writer's room when you're sitting with Joe and coming up with the story and coming up with all these different layers. How does that process work? Is it a, is it like one upping each other? Is it starting at the back end of the movie and working back to the beginning? How do you do it? Well, I'll start by saying that the, the addition of the dog was actually, it, it came pretty late in the process. And what we realized was um, everything that you're saying, you know, the fact that they're not supposed to have a pet there and they bring the pet that, and that, that adds immediate attention. And then also just having a dog there throughout the film adds this underlying feelings of like, please don't let something happen to the dog. And in addition to that, it was just like, you know, just ramping everything up slowly where then the characters show up at the house and they're dealing with this homeowner who seems a little sketchy and maybe is slightly racist towards Sheila's character. And so it's all just adding up. And then, you know, the, the conflict between the kind of Sheila and the two brother characters and both of their relationships with her and how that manifests itself when the brothers are dealing with each other. And so yeah, I mean, the first half of the film is really about these characters. And so, but we didn't want it to feel like two separate movies. And so 
we did, we, we were very conscious about making sure that there was just this dread underneath everything, even when there was nothing overtly scary happening on screen. And so we, we added, um, we added some kind of voyeuristic shots throughout that first half of the film where you're reminded that, yes, there is all these issues between the characters, but maybe there's this outside force creeping into. Yeah, like that that sense of dread that you've managed to create. I have yeah. not experienced it in a movie. I, I don't even know if for, for in forever where it's almost like the subtlety of a pin drop. It won't take a jump scare to set everything just on fire. You've created a world where the subtlety of a pin drop could literally cause shit to explode. And that's what makes it scary. And that's brilliant. I'm really happy to hear you say that. <laughs> yeah. Toby Huss, who plays Taylor, I remember him from that uh, hit computer drama, Halt and Catch Fire, where oh, yeah. he just had the best and funniest lines in just about every episode. Talk about casting him for this role, which is quite the 180 that we're used to seeing him as. Yeah. So we didn't want his character to be this, you know, this, this like really obvious villain who's like clearly a terrible person. We thought it would be much more interesting if he was just a little more mysterious where we, we thought about what someone who, you know, what someone would be like if they've lived in the in middle of the woods by themselves for 10 years. And I think what happens is you just become a little bit antisocial. You just don't know how to interact with people. And so that's what we kind of wanted him to lean into where in these earlier scenes with him, you're, you're wondering as an audience, like, okay, is this guy racist or is he just a weirdo? And you kind of keep going back and forth. And that's, that's what we were trying to achieve. I love Toby's performance so much in this movie. And yeah. like the way that he toes that line is just incredible between like, charming and creepy or like somehow you don't write him off right away and uh he he i just think he's like he's really like talented at, at, at being able to play both sides and i remember that being really important to him on set of like not wanting to just like you know come across as just an obvious creep because then yeah. of course there, there's nothing interesting about that and so bringing that complexity to it was so cool to see the final result and be like damn this guy is He's so talented. It's, it's, it was so cool to watch it. Like, you know, like by all, for every reason, I should hate that character. <laughs> and, and I don't somehow. Somehow he just engages me and still draws me in. Talk about finding the perfect house for this. Was it constructed to fill certain uses or did you bend the script to adapt to a place that you found somewhere? A little bit of both. The, the house is a, a huge character in the film. And we, we did a pretty extensive search all up and down the coast. And we, we found this spot in Southern Oregon on the coast in this little town called Bandon. And it's, it's a really sleepy little town. Um, and there, there's not much going on except I guess people go there to uh, play golf. They have two of the best golf courses in the country randomly. But otherwise, it's just this beautiful, quaint little town. And the reason it was perfect for the film is, is there's so much natural beauty in the area that would draw people to want to vacation there. So you understand why the characters would want to go there. But at the same time, there's something really ominous about the, the jagged coastline and the fog and the fact that the house really is in the middle of nowhere. And I remember uh, when we were prepping, I actually stayed, um, I stayed in the house one night and everything truly changed when the sun went down and all of a sudden I was in this house where all the walls are just glass and I felt like I was in a fishbowl and it made me feel very vulnerable and exposed and I was like oh yeah this is the exact feeling I want the characters to have and this is the perfect spot now you're ruining windows for us (laughs) (laughs) yeah those nighttime uh, creepy fog scenes I was curious were they also shot on location in Bandon yeah all, all the stuff around the house was was pretty much shot uh, just right there. The fog, as you can imagine, the fog was a difficult element. There is natural fog in the area, but we, you know, we had these massive machines that we brought in too. And one thing I didn't anticipate was in Southern Oregon on the coast, there's sometimes 50 mile per hour winds. And that's, that's going to make your life a nightmare when you're dealing with fog. Uh, but we, we had an incredible special effects team who killed themselves for this. And honestly, everyone on set stepped up and really helped out in a way that like, there was this kind of lawnmower looking device that if you ran with it, it would spit fog out. And like, you know, the script supervisor and the art department and everyone just took turns with this lawnmower and like, (laughs) 
felt like a real team effort to get to make this fog look as real as possible. Sheila is such a magnetic storyteller and you're working with an amazing collection of actors here at Allison Brie from Glow and Scream 4 and Jeremy Allen White yes. from Shameless and Dan Stevens, of course, from The Guest, which was amazing and The Beauty and the Beast. What did the confines of a one location set bring out in this what is really an ensemble performance? It was great. It was kind of it felt a little more like theater because I felt like since we had just this one location, it, it was almost like a stage in the theater, you know, like you, you go there and it, because it's so contained, you can get even more insulated and in, into the project, I think more, more, more inside the center of it all. That doesn't always work that way. I think it helped that it was such a big house. So there was always like somewhere to go. We weren't all crammed in there to the point where it felt suffocating, even though I feel like Christian, our DP, and Dave did such a good job of making that beautiful, massive space feel like it was oppressive in a way. But actually being there was just like so beautiful. And there was enough space for us to feel like we had, you know, what we needed to, to get focus and, and, and stay kind of in the zone of our characters. But also because we were just there the whole time, that also helped with focus. It just like it was like a pressure cooker in a good way, I would say. It allowed like all of these different elements to really like percolate and gel together. And yeah, it felt like a stage. It felt like going because normally you're going to different locations all of the time and you have to kind of readjust to each new set. But we gained enough of a familiarity that when I would get to work, I just felt comfortable because I, I knew the, I knew this house. I knew which bed I could go to if I wanted to take a little quick nap or like what corner would be quiet. No one would be over here. And. We, that, I appreciated going back to the same place every time and having like a relationship with the space. Yeah, and the, the house, the house uh, really was at the end of this, this two-mile narrow dirt road through the woods. And so once we were there, once we were there, we kind of didn't have a choice. We, we, kinda, we, we couldn't really go anywhere, and the actors... There's no cell service. You couldn't right. be just, you know, on social media, distracted. You just kind of had to focus. Exactly. What are the benefits of being directed by an actor such as Dave, who is perhaps a creative shorthand when it comes to the art of what it is that you were trying to achieve on the other side of that camera? There's so many benefits. I just felt like he not only respected our process more like intrinsically and deeply, but also um, knew how to talk to us in a way that just felt like it was cutting right through. Whereas sometimes I think you're taught as a director to like not tell an actor what to do directly. Like there's this weird thing of like, don't give a line reading or kind of like walking on eggshells around it so that you help them figure it out. And I, I'm not one of those actors that's into that. I, I just want to know what you want and then, and then to, to get there fast. And because Dave knew exactly what he wanted, it was really easy. And I think probably being an actor, I just felt like, I felt like even whatever I brought, I felt like he knows firsthand what it takes to bring that to get there. And so it made me feel valued in a way I don't always feel valued. I, what, what I'll say too is it was fun for me to, to work with all the actors and see that they all have different processes and, and they all succeed in different ways. And so like with Sheila, we we would have these long talks even about like one single word sometimes <laughs> and i loved it and i loved it like sheila sheila it, it it just showed me how how you know dedicated she was and how much she was thinking about this character and so we would get like really existential about a single word <laughs> and it was so great because we could do that you know exactly. like i feel like you can't collaborate if people are afraid to just like disagree maybe or, or just like figure it out together in that way and it was nice to have those conversations it's like and and even the pushback I really appreciated because I felt like you you put you took me to places I wouldn't necessarily have gone right away and then when I saw the final product I was so proud of it and I knew that part of that was the way a huge part of that was the direction you took all of us and I think to um like explore subtlety in the first three fourths of the movie and, and to like allow things to that, that, that certain things were reading, even if we weren't sure if they were reading and Norm and I could trust it because he's an actor. I'm like, he's looking at it the way I would look at it. So he says, but that thing you think you're doing isn't really coming across. It was never offensive. It was just like, 
okay, cool. Like, good. I, I want, I want it to come across. So let's like figure that out. And, and with these, these longer conversations and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, it's like, we could really hash everything out. So you like, when, when I think about when I'm on set as an actor, there's so many days where I'll leave set and I'll be like, ah, should I have tried this one thing? Maybe I should have brought this up to the director. And like, yeah. we just really got into it where it's like, all right, we're covering all bases here. We're trying everything and we're going to narrow in on what works best. Kudos to you, Dave and Joe, for crafting such a unique and fun uh, film in the genre. You know, the third act and ending uh, has such a unique twist with releva- revelations and even uh, misdirection. And I was wondering, Sheila, did you or either of the cast know how the film would end prior to or while filming? Yeah, it was that never really changed. I don't think it wasn't really in flux. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but the, the way it all goes down is especially with my character was, was something that, that really excited me. But yeah, we, we, we knew it wasn't, it wasn't as um, like, there was nothing as improvisational as you might think, considering this was written by Dave and Joe. It was very intentional. The way things were, were built up, the way that they sort of resulted, it was intended. Let's get into the sound of the film. Some of my favorite moments include the score when yeah. Michelle comes across uh, a certain something or these <laughs> odd, yeah or these odd meter violin hits near near the end of the movie that kind of penetrate the score you've worked with Sonder Urians right who's done yeah. like autopsy of Jane Doe and countdown and Nosferatu talk about picking him and the importance of elevating this film in that way sonically and finding its unique stamp yeah it's it's Sonder and his his partner uh Danny Bensey and They've like like you mentioned. They've worked in this space before uh, with those films, and also uh, Simon Killer and Martha Marcy May Marlene and the HBO series The Outsider. And so they're they're familiar with all this stuff, but they really approach it from a unique angle where they're able to be so subtle, but somehow their music just really kind of a, is a very effective and still present. And like for example, I think about. There's a long sequence um, later on in the film where they they put this kind of like underlying rhythm that that almost sounds like a heartbeat. And what that does psychologically and not to get too heady about this, but I, I think it makes you aware of your own heartbeat, which in turn makes your own heartbeat start to go a little quicker. And before you know it, you're a little bit out of breath. And so they just know how to just kind of like play with your emotions like that in a really subtle way. And I I just, I really love those guys and I think they can do anything. As a first time feature director, is there a scene in the film, a particular scene that you found defines your style? If you had to show someone kind of your calling card scene from the film that you felt at the time was coming out exactly how you envisioned. That's a really great question. Um, think about that but i'm gonna just off the top of my head some of the scenes that i really love are what sheila kind of alluded to earlier the scenes where they kind of um unfold like we're watching a play where it's these wider shots where all of the actors are in the frame together and the it was just like these really these shots that we had to really put a lot of um time thinking about because of how everyone's moving um, in and out of the scene and how the camera kind of follows them and how the camera lands on the right person at the right time. I guess those are some of the, the shots and scenes that I'm most proud of. And what is it about storytelling within this horror space that you enjoy so much? I just love horror films. I, I, I'm just a big fan. And I, you know, uh, we, most people know me from the comedies I've acted in, but as, as a viewer, there's nothing I love more than a, a horror film. And I, I think a lot of these, these young genre filmmakers are making really exciting, exciting movies right now. I think about people like Ari Aster and Jordan Peele and Jennifer Kent's and Amy Simetz, Jeremy Saulnier, Sean Durkin. And they just, they approach everything just in a really, just from a really smart tasteful angle and that feels really just uh, coming from a place that you haven't seen before it all feels very unique and original and they they all um just speaking in in general they all make these projects that they take their time to really creep up on you and then when they take their punches they they land really hard and and ultimately those those films linger with me 
for a long time after I watched them, as opposed to some films which, um, you know, have somewhat stock two-dimensional characters and, and the main thing that they're prioritizing is jump scares, which can be really fun, but sometimes those films just kind of feel a little disposable and you forget about them the moment you finish watching them. Bella, you mentioned that. I'd love to know from the both of you about your horror history. What was the movie or experience that started it all for you? Growing up, I was scared of horror movies. Um, I'm a total scaredy cat in real life. I'm such a chicken. So um, it wasn't until later that I realized that having a safe space to be scared was actually very useful for me. But I will say that I still like being in horror movies more than I like watching them (laughs) because I still get so scared. And I feel like being in them, I I get to like feel some sense of control over my fear. I get to feel like, um, but I, I, this new kind of like wave of sort of indie, I guess, horror movie filmmakers that, that Dave mentioned a bunch of them got me re-excited for it. Like I'd say like the Babadook and Hereditary and these movies that like, like Dave said, like take their time with the horror. They're not just exploitation of our fears, but really kind of an exploration of our fears. Those in the last like five, six years, seeing a lot of these movies, even I guess longer than that now. And then also some of the stuff from like back in the day in the seventies that just goes for it. You know, that's like, all the way like maximum <laughs> gore and and stuff i i get excited by that stuff because it's like operatic to me it's like opera it's just so heightened it's like it's like a painting or something i i appreciate that stuff that breaks out of the box of normalcy i think about when i first saw it the which was was it a miniseries or a two-part movie yeah it was a miniseries yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember watching that and, um, you know, Pennywise is coming out of these drains and for like, you know, a week or two after I I remember I I would take showers uh, in my bathing suit with the door open just in case Pennywise (laughs) came out and got me and I needed my parents to come in and save me. (laughs) And uh, eventually my mom. bathing suit is a great detail. (laughs) 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 But yeah, that that had a a visceral effect on me. (laughs) What do you think? I mean, just like uh, the way that your film wraps up, what do you think it takes as far as crafting an ending that makes a film one that a viewer doesn't leave in the theater they take home and it relives in their head what is that secret ingredient do you think that is a great question i don't know if i have a a smart answer to that but um i think I, i don't think I don't think it all happens just in this final moment. I think you really need to build up to it and, and have these, these characters that are complex that you really care about and, and, um, and ultimately uh, are, are invested in whether or not they're going to live or die. And, and you're invested in their stories and, and not just the horror that you're seeing on screen, but uh, Sheila, I don't know. Save me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it is that, that thing of like, like, well, definitely the fact that this is something that could really happen to anybody many of the scary things that happen in this could really happen that's what sticks with me when i finish watching it it's like oh god do i need to worry about this do i need to worry about being spied on do i need to worry about you know what all the different paranoias that come up so for me it's like that human element which is what you're talking about the investment in the characters the humanity that comes first before all of the horror comes i i think that stuff sticks with people people have to they have to care about the character. Like, if you care, it's it's way more scary when bad things happen to characters you care about. But if you haven't spent the time we spend with these guys, like, I don't know, the the, the stakes feel lower to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with and talking, yeah, specifically about this this movie, um, I think if anything, I, I guess what we are going for with the ending is is. Um, that you you almost you almost can't help but reflect on every rental home you've ever stayed in uh wondering if if you were being watched and you know thinking about renting renting homes in the future and and i'm just speaking for myself but like my paranoia is is insane now and I think people will at least like look around and, and try to make sure that everything looks um, normal. <laughs> was there ever, was there ever an idea before, I mean, before all this COVID stuff about doing like screenings at Airbnbs and <laughs> anything like that? I don't know if there was any, uh, I mean, I think it's a great idea, but sadly I think um, COVID happened before we could even start to think creatively like that. 
it tickles me to think of people actually watching it in Airbnbs. Yeah, I was, you know, thinking about this and wondering, uh, Dave, especially this being your directorial uh, debut here, and you know, it's tradition. Uh, did either you or Sheila get to keep any of the props in the film? Maybe a weapon, perhaps, or wardrobe, or maybe like Reggie the dog or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, I have a mask, but it's not, it's not the mask used in the film. It was kind of our backup mask. And at one point I, I thought about putting it on and standing over Allison with a hammer. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> but, and, and waking her up that way while she was sleeping. Um, but I realized that no joke that might end our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Sheila, you take anything? I took two small things. I actually loved the production design so much of the house. Like, Meredith Lippincott was our production designer and everything in that house. Like she did it right, Dave. Like she furnished and designed all of that stuff. Everything. And it was just like, it was so in line with my, my own normal taste. But unfortunately we were all the way in Oregon. So when they were kind of getting rid of all the set pieces and the props, there was so much I wanted to take, but I was like, oh, I live in New York. How am I going to get this stuff? So I ended up just taking two pieces from the set. One is like a small vase and another is a small picture frame that just like were my little mementos of remembering that house. Um, Oh yeah, I have those my, my little souvenirs. That's so awesome, and I, I don't know if I have to yeah. put a uh, if I'm going to have to put a spoiler alert or anything here, but I really wanted to know that mask, the creation of it, what went into that. Was it something that was created especially for the film? Was it something that you found? It's a really cool, iconic look. Thanks, man. Yeah, we or I, I was inspired by uh, the masks in the movie in the Safdie brothers movie, Good Time. When they're when they're robbing the bank and what i love about the mask is it's so realistic that at first glance you're like is that a mask or is it something weird going on with the person's face uh so i liked i like that kind of in between feeling and uh so we we found one of those very very realistic masks online and then just had had our art department just kind of mess it up a little bit and make it feel lived in and, and like the like the person had been using it for a long time. I have one more question for Sheila. It would be a shame to have you here and not talk just a little bit about A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night with one question. About yes. Yeah. Stylistically, it's startling. It's so unique. A skateboarding vampire, black and white spaghetti western. Your character doesn't have many lines and encapsulates that kind of Clint Eastwood style gravitas and says so much in the way that you move and use your clothing at like your cape how did you create that personality oh yeah i'm glad you brought up clint eastwood because i feel like the western element sometimes gets ignored but i actually drew a lot of inspiration from that and there's several different things i did like we i sat with that character for almost like a year before we even started shooting it um there was a lot of inspiration from cats, the way cats move. I feel like vampires are very cat-like, but also from cowboy westerns. There's this, you know, the, the cowboy is generally very silent as well. Like they're often just very quiet and there's always this tension in the showdown of like that, you know, iconic thing of a cowboy walking into the saloon and everybody gets kind of quiet. And so I just wanted to maintain that feeling of sort of like that, badass thing of if I walk in a room, I can really mess shit up. Like the way a cowboy does, like there's something so rugged about them and they've got a gun on each hip. And for the girl, if she's a vampire, so if she decides she wants to take you out, it's very easy for her to do. So I tried to just garner that, like harvest that power, that feeling of, and, and then it's, it's a little like hard to explain because it's sort of like, it's energetic to me. But I, I thought a lot about space and about how like, when I move forward, this space gets more kind of crunched together. And that as I, 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 I kind of acted like the space around me was jello. So everything was a little more slowed down. Everything, like even just, I, I'm not trying to toot my own horn as an actor, but like, instead of just looking, it was always like a very intentional, like just, yeah, like jello or like a cat. Like when you watch a cat, there's something that's very alert about them, but they're also totally relaxed. Right. It's like a real swagger. It's amazing. Yeah. All right, you guys. Well, one last question. What do you think of the mechanics of releasing a film 
in this current climate of COVID with virtual festivals and screenings? And how has it put indie filmmaking on a, on a pedestal right now? Yeah, you know, we're, we're obviously living in a new world and people are trying to find these different ways to release their films. But I, I do feel very fortunate that we paired up with IFC, who really has been thinking outside the box and they've been really agile. Uh, for example, we, we did our premiere at a drive-in just outside of L.A., and it wasn't, um, you know, it's not exactly what I imagined for the first public screening of the film, but in certain ways it was better and it was more fun because I, I think about standard premieres and they're, you know, they can tend to be a little bit stuffy and they make me a little anxious with the red carpet and all of that. And, and this was the opposite. It just felt felt very relaxed and it didn't feel like there was a spotlight on me or the cast. It, it was more this this communal experience where, all these people had been cooped up in their homes for so long. And it was, it was just a bunch of movie lovers coming together to have a, a joint experience, which is a rare thing these days. And then going off what you're saying, just about indie movies, having a little bit of a platform. Yeah. I mean, part of it is that um, a lot of these, these bigger blockbusters are having to push. And so there's, you know, we're not having to compete with those massive films, and then also people just need new content. And so um, it is nice, though, looking at some of these these um, smaller films get a lot of attention like Palm Springs and Relic and, and a lot of the stuff that IFC is doing. too. well, guys, thank you again so much for joining us. And really, congratulations yes. on this movie. It, it really, really is an achievement, you guys. I appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you guys. That was the Boot Crew Podcast episode 145. Special thanks to our guests, Dave Franco and Sheila Vand. See The Rental at time of release on VOD Digital and drive-in theaters now. If you liked this episode, check out episode 122 with David Marmer and Nicole Bryan Bloom of 1BR, episode 102 with Elijah Wood and Ant Timpson, and episode 75 with the freaking amazing Jamie Kennedy. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting. Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.